started thinking about that, and I was like, that seems a little odd, too, and how to respect the class and what God has in mind. It's, it's, I don't think it's kind to single out people when you're up front here. And the, the big question, of course, is how do you deal with rejection in your life? And it just things I was wrestling with because you might have sat here Tuesday night and thought your name might have been given. Or you might have been at business meeting and wished you would have been put on for something and you didn't. And, and my mind went through that whole rejection thing of each of us have to deal with it in family, work, church, it's all around us. And, and I looked for a few examples of rejection in the Bible and I didn't get very far. There was a few and I, I started in on one and we sort of got away from rejection and headed into something all totally different. So this morning is not about rejection. But I just would like to say about that, uh, it seems as if, or I know for a fact, that God does not reject his people. The only time in Scripture when God rejected people is when they chose, first of all, to reject him. And we really have no excuse to say... I experienced rejection in my life. Yes, those events may have happened, but never forget that God will not reject you. And that over supersedes whatever your circumstances are. And I better quit about that before I run out of time here this morning. So uh, just some things that was on my mind. But the, the, um, the examples I ran into were Cain. His, his offering wasn't accepted. There's a form of rejection there. Joseph was rejected by his brothers. Saul experienced rejection. And even Jesus was just intrigued by the fact that his brothers didn't even believe what he was saying. His own brothers. I would feel rejected if all my brothers thought I was... thought my ministry was a bunch of whatever worthless things that would be hard and so when I was looking at those I started in on Cain and that's where it got stuck so this morning is in Genesis chapter 4 if you want to turn your turn your Bible you may I've titled the message the presence of God It's going to be from chapter or chapter four. It's going to be verse one through verse sixteen. I would like to read that, and then we'll have comments down through the verses as we go. Genesis chapter four, one through sixteen. And Adam knew Eve, his wife. And she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. 
but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother, brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tellest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from the face and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and dwelt in the land of Nod, on the east of Eden. Now this isn't any real new story to each of you, I'm, I doubt. But I'd like to take it just verse by verse down through here. And in, in the first verse we have Adam and Eve previously have been driven from the garden. And even there we know the presence of God, how that all changed. But it's just stating here that in verse 1, Adam knew his wife. And as you know, God's command was is to be fruitful and multiply. And because of that, she bare Cain as a man-child. And it says, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Some things in, as I was looking in chapter 3, there is a lot more in there of what God was saying through the, the curse, like with the serpent and to woman. But here I, it's understood that Eve now knew, knew what God was talking about through the ability to bear children. Like there, there was some, um, I think some light bulb that went on, went on in her mind. And she also saw how life comes from God through that. And I, that's a little bit of her response there. I've gotten a man from the Lord. In verse 2 it says, And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Abel is a brother to Cain. And I, I need to back up a little bit. When Cain uh, was born, his name means acquire or possession. Not sure of any significance there. There's also some other words that could be put with it. But Abel, in this verse, is born a brother to Cain. Abel's name means breath. Abel was a keeper of the sheep. Cain was a tiller of the ground. Verse 3, in the process of time, 
very general there. We uh, don't have a specific of what the process of time, but as time went along, it says Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And I still don't know, and it's not a detail that really matters, but whether this was a one-time offering or whether this was just one of the many offerings, it does not say. And I kind of thought it'd be nice to know if Cain would have had a progression of he brought an offering and kind of iffy and he, he just sort of, you know, went down this slippery slope and finally got to a place where it says the Lord just, you know, didn't have respect, but we don't know that. It just says that he brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And the process of time in there, some, some of the comments would have been, was it at the end of the day? Was it at the end of the week? Or was this a yearly thing? It's part of the unknowns that we don't know. However, it says Cain's offering was of the fruit of the ground. Now, as you know, God killed an animal in the, in the garden to clothe Adam and Eve. But there's a verse, and it, get ahead of myself here. God accepted non-blood sacrifices as given in Leviticus 2.14. I could read that, but it talks about bringing the green, I should just turn to it, because I wouldn't have known it was there, and I would like to reference that. And just to level out a little bit what was taking place, and as I as I look at this, it's hard to understand these laws being given later and applying. You can't apply laws made later to previous events. So it takes is a lot of wiggle room, if you want to say, in this. But Leviticus 2.14 reads like this. And if thou offer a meat offering... I'm just going to in, uh, put in there, meat offering doesn't necessarily mean meat as in flesh. And if thou offer a meat offering of thy first fruits unto the Lord, thou shalt offer for the meat offering of thy first fruits green ears of corn dried by the fire, even corn beaten out of full ears. And I never realized that it has a specific plant there that you could offer to God. Just to counteract that, well, God has to have a blood sacrifice. Um, not necessarily for worship, but there's blood sacrifice needed for the covering of sin, as we know, and for the um, sacrifice needed for sin. But the, in Cain's here, it, it says there's no mention of first fruits of the ground. I wanted to point that out because in Abel's, as we get there, Abel had of the firstlings of the flock, and that's in verse 4. So Cain was the, and I don't know, just taking it by reverse reference, he was the one that had his offering first. He brought his first before Abel's. Whether this was a one-time thing or how it was, it's just, it's just what's stated in Scripture. And I'd like to put in here, as you see these two men bringing, I assume men, they're grown up, bringing their offering to God. We're going to assume that Adam taught both his boys the ways of God. And as I studied this, I had forgotten to look at the Sunday school lesson, but through Sunday school, I was hearing about choices. And there's some things in here about choices. 
Abel cho chose one way, Cain chose another. But I think they both understood what God required or what Adam had told them that God should, re should have as far as in a way of an offering. Somehow that is, you know, assumed. But in verse 4, as we keep on, Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and also the fat thereof. And I never paid attention to that. It says specifically here, and of the fat thereof. There's a verse in Leviticus as well that says, all the fat is the Lord's. It sounds, seems a little comical, you know, we think of fat being not a good thing. But you know, fat is a sign of prosperity and uh, just that whole thing, abundance. And the Lord says, that's mine. All those good things that, that above and beyond that you want to say that an animal would need, he says, that's mine. That fat is mine. Just an odd phrase stuck in here, but it, it, it's in Leviticus there that God specifically says, that is mine. And that's what Abel was bringing. He brought of the flock and of the fat. Like, there was nothing held back when Abel was giving his, his offering. And in verse 5, it says that, Unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. You see the end of verse 4 there. It says, And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. So now we have Cain being downcast. In the, in the NIV it says Cain was angry. I think that's a little bit what it implies here. Wroth is, is anger. And his face was downcast. And as we know, God sees the inside of us, but I think he also knows what the outside is. Because in verse 6 it says, And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? The Lord could see what was taking place in this person. And out of this studying and why I ended up here was verse 7 was the where I got um, most of my or I spent a lot of my time studying in verse 7, what all is meant there. But backing up to 6, as we see, um, Cain obviously knew that his offering wasn't being accepted. It says, the Lord said to Cain. Just taking that phrase there, the Lord said to Cain. And I think it would be awesome if I use that word correctly. To have God literally say things to us in an audible voice. But it's not necessarily that way. It doesn't need to be that way. Because God does speak to us. It's just not quite like this. But if you had a specific problem you were dealing with. And you were just bummed out about it. And God just would talk to you. Wouldn't that make a huge difference? I think it would for me. But you don't. In the overview here. You don't have a conversation with God and Cain back and forth like you do maybe some other places. It just has in verse 6, the Lord said unto Cain, why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? And in verse 7, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Tend to get some of these verses like... Uh, comments on one and the other but in verse 6 I think it was a way 
that God communicated to Cain in that there is no excuse that he could state that he didn't know what he was doing. God said, if you do well, you'll be accepted. If you don't, you be careful. Now, what we have in verse 7 is sin lies at the door. I don't know if many of you had ever studied or wondered what that means. And it's still a little bit hard to know what that means. But before we get to the door, we've got to back up a couple words to the word sin. The first time it's mentioned in Scripture. And it helps me and hopefully you to understand what it means. At this point, Cain might not have, have sinned. The Lord just said, and back to this choice thing, he said, you better be careful. If you do good, you'll be accepted. If you don't, what's going to happen? You're going to fall into sin. And we don't have record that there was any specific direction for Cain in what to do. He just was offering. The Lord didn't say, do this and this and this, and Cain said, no, I don't want to. There's in our minds so black and white, but there's not. It's just you're not doing well. You're not doing good. That, that puts sin a little more, I don't want to say farther down the road, but it's not, so, um, it's not so much like every little thing you do wrong is sin. It could be when it's a command directly uh, you know, against Scripture or when the Holy Spirit speaks in your mind that you did something wrong. But um, I, I, I could just get the overview of sin being that total opposition of what God wants to do. And as we know, the one definition I've heard over and over and over is disobedience to God is sin. And that covers a lot of it. And when you disobey God, it's sin. Cain knew what was expected of him. And Cain did not want to do what he was told. Now, at this point in the story, the presence of God is still with Cain. And when this phrase here, sin lieth at the door... I, there's, there's different ways of looking at this, and, and no one really has any accurate, if I want to say accurate, like what I think is just, oh yeah, it, it just makes sense. There's, there's too much variables in all of this. But a door is kind of either, it, you know, you're, you're in or out. It's, it, it makes a defining factor of the door. But this word, uh, lieth, sin lieth at the door. In the NIV, I don't think I wrote it here, but it says about um, sin is crouching at the door. It's sitting there waiting and ready to pounce on you. And the one commentary said it's as even if a beast... No, I should say that... The, and if I caught some of what the, the Hebrew word might have meant, it was as if there's a, a beast or some animal just ready to spring on its victim. And the one uh, 
my one study Bible went so far as to say um, that there's demons just crouching and ready to pounce on people and overtake them in a spiritual sense. That could be. We don't know. But when sin lieth at the door, something, something's close. And this could be just the fact that God knew Cain was going to kill his brother Abel. He said, you be careful. You're getting into things you don't want to. Lots of things there. But uh, I think this explanation by God was an, was an act of compassion to help Cain see his wrong ways. And it promoted confession. We don't have any reference that Cain would have confessed that he's doing anything wrong. And when someone confronts you and and shows you, it puts up <clears throat> you got two choices. Agree, confess, communicate what's taking place in your life, or ignore it and go the other way. So in verse seven there at the end I'm not sure if I have it in my notes or not but that and unto thee shall be his desire and thou shalt rule over him is another phrase that is debated and tried to understand a couple of the ways it could be taken and I do think scripture has ways of having two meanings it, it almost gives the exact phrase of what God told Eve in verse 16 at the end, it says, And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. This says, And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. They are very, very close in the, in the wording there. And so the, the obvious would be that Cain, as the oldest, as the firstborn son, should rule over his younger brother in a right manner without any problems like that's that's Cain had the, the birthright we know and God could have been stating that and unto thee shall be his desire Abel Abel will serve you you're the oldest and you'll you'll be able to rule over him and what more could Cain want but the other twist to this is is that it is talking about sin and that gets kind of into different things but uh Sin, the desire, uh, and like it's a little hard to put it all together, but sin just wants to rule over people. And we know that is the case as Satan and, and his agenda of, you know, just tempting and, and luring people into sin, it's, it is there. But at the end of verse 7 is, is that's it. And so then you go to uh, verse 8. But before we get to verse 8, there's a couple of things I had to ponder. Uh, as we know this first section here. Because this is a little bit where it kind of came down to me. Lamar said in Sunday school, sometimes we like to think we can't do nothing. And other times we're like, well, I can do anything. And I felt both those ways already. Some things I had to ponder. Will God accept the attitude of, this is what I have to offer, and if you, God, don't like it, then tough. God, you'll just have to accept it anyway. Anybody ever had an atti attitude like that? 
I kind of think Cain sort of had that coming through. He said, I don't care, Lord. I, I tried. Can you just, can't you take it anyway? I have about 10 things here just in my mind rambling on. It's just too hard to have my devotions all the time. If I get to family devotions once in a while, just that'll be good enough. If I don't always turn my eyes away from immoral things around us, it's, it's not my fault because anyhow, God, God made me like that. Why can't I enjoy the beauty of women? It just feels good to think about myself and how good I can do things. And I just really don't feel like having the presence of God in my life right now. Maybe later, but not just not right now. Do I have to take time and kneel for prayer? Can I just pray on the way to work? In the car, driving? Do I really need to train and correct my children? They'll, they'll just have to catch on later somehow. Like they'll, they'll get it. Or that grudge, just maybe one more time I'll just think about it and wish I could think about it maybe three times, but we'll just one time be all right. Or as I mentioned before, it's too hard to deal with the rejection in my life. Don't know what to do about it. I'll just play the victim mentality and this is what happened to me and tough. Why do I have to do anything about it? Or as our meeting Wednesday night, I'll try better next time to get a word in for Christ. As this list could go on and on, things you're maybe dealing with in your life. But in each of those things, whatever you may be dealing with, or if you perchance you would relate to some of the things that I deal with, if the presence of God was with us at that exact time, wouldn't it make a difference? That's why I titled it The Presence of God. And here's my notes about, And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So I think I... No, I have one point about that. God was reminding Cain of all that he had. And so, we have been given so much. Why would we count the things that are against us when it was our own choice in the first place to choose the way, ways of God and receive God's blessing. I don't know if you were able to get all the way through all that one. But we have been given so much, why would we count the things that come against us when it was our own choice in the first place to, we could have chosen the ways of God and received God's blessing? doesn't always work that way. Things come into our life that we didn't have anything. But Cain here, he did have a choice. And his choice was, as let's keep going here into verse 8, Cain talked with Abel. Now the NIV says, Cain said to Abel, let's go out into the field. I think that phrase there, and Cain talked with Abel, has a lot to do with what's going on in Cain's mind. He was cooking things up. Intentions were to have an opportunity to do something to Abel. 
And it says, And when it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. Doesn't give any idea, details of arguments or defense or anything. It just says he killed him. The result of anger. And a little bit... This happens to be, I can... Any of you in a store, in my mind, of course, goes to Hilly Ridge because we have the same thing there at the shop. People come in, they tell you stories, and you just you just never know what to believe of them. But I wasn't at the shop. I was actually at a service call at this fellow's place. And he personally told me, pointing locations and places of what all took, what all happened. And this, this man will use a swear word kind of every other, but he reads his Bible every day and and his brother's a big pastor, maybe in one of these bigger mega churches out in California. And I don't know how to take the fellow, I guess. But he told me, sitting there in his living room after we had done the work, he said, you know that house down there? He said, years ago, and this was probably back 30-some years. I'm not sure on the time right. He said, I was married, and my wife left me, and she moved in that house right down there. And every once in a while, I'd see this pickup truck come parked in that driveway and he said used to make me so mad he said one day he was so mad if any of you know what a Smith & Wesson is he went back in his room got his Smith & Wesson handgun and was walking down to that house and he pointed to it and he said I got to that telephone pole and something in his mind said what are you doing and he says it was the God telling him Stop. Don't go murder somebody. Is the presence of God in your life all the time to keep us in a straight and narrow way? You've probably heard the phrase, little saying, you sow a thought, you reap an act. You sow an act, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. So a character, you reap a destiny or a, a destination. Things start way, way, way back in your mind and can go from there. So this sin lieth at the door. I thought I had in my notes too about, yeah, lies at the door door could be the battle of the conscience as whether we fall prey to sin or whether we hold to our commitment of obedience to God. That's what I see a little bit there in verse 7, sin lieth at the door. A couple more things just quickly yet. There's not a whole lot. That, that's kind of the main part of the story except to get to verse 16 there. But in verse 9, you know, the Lord said unto Cain, Where's Abel thy brother? He said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain had to tell a lie. We know that one, one sin usually leads to the next one. And am I my brother's keeper? A famous quote or saying from the scripture. It's a question of responsibility to our brother. And a lot could be taken right from that. But I also see that did Cain want to be rid of God's command? If in verse 7 about he's supposed to be the elder brother and Abel's going to be, you know, under him. Did Cain want to be rid of God's command to rule over his younger brother? I don't know, but it's, there's some things in these verses that 
our possibilities and a lot of things we don't know. But he killed his brother, and God said about, in verse 10, about uh, what have you done, and the voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. I never really thought about that he could have been uh, buried as a cover-up, and you murder somebody. I know that Moses killed the Egyptian, buried him in the sand, but when it says here in keep jumping around but in verse 11 and now thou and now art thou cursed from the earth which hath opened her mouth when you hear the phrase that the earth opened her mouth it usually means that there was a opening made and in some stories we know a whole bunch of people disappeared it could lean some credit towards the fact that he would have buried his brother to try to get away from it and God knowing all things says his blood still cries from the ground but that's kind of irrelevant God knew what took place and he gave curse to Cain punishment to him there in verse 12 it says God's uh, God's punishment to Cain the earth will not yield it's just not going to be very easy for him He's going to be a fugitive and a, a vagabond. And that simply, that word there, vagabond, simply means a wanderer. He's not going to have a, a place that he can call home, his, his, own, his own place. It, it's, he's just going to be wandering the rest of his life. And if you were to study Cain's personality and character through here, a lot of things would come out. But it's interesting that Cain started complaining about his punishment. I don't see that as a attribute of Christian people. You should take the punishment and responsibility for your actions. But Cain here's like, if if he did have this don't care attitude, he just like tried to get off easy some more. He said about his punishments greater than he can bear. People are going to kill him. I don't know if he's making excuses, rambling on, whatever he's doing. It's hard to say. But God did put a mark on Cain so that people wouldn't kill him. It's unclear exactly what that is as well, but God did provide for him in that way. But verse 16, it says, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. And I guess I would say that it's possible that through all of this, God's presence was there with him. But when it says, and Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, something, something took place there that wasn't there before. And you and I, we do not want to find ourselves in that place. And I know it seems pretty far off, but you're going to talk about deception. You, you, you dare not say, I will never get to that point where God's presence just won't be with me. Be careful. I pray to God it won't, and if you stay close to him, it won't. But in Jonah, we have the exact same thing, Jonah 1.3. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish, Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. 
Jonah didn't want to be in the presence of the Lord. And in our minds, that's if I can convey a little bit clear to you, when you think of, there's no way I wouldn't want the pre- I would always would want the presence of God in my life. Then use that as a means of fighting against temptation. Exodus 33:14 says, and he said, "My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest." That was in reference to Moses when they left Egypt. And I think most of this comes from myself and some of the things I struggle with in my own life. That I probably could get to the point in my mind at times where I'm just simply not interested in doing what God would want me to right then and there. Maybe not in a big sense, but in that mind and in that thought where you have a choice do one or the other. And when you choose the wrong, it's not like the presence of God just left you. But in my mind, I wanted to just reject God's presence for a little bit. So, challenge to you is may the presence of God be recognized more and more it is but like more and more in our lives as we strive to live pure and holy before him and I hope each of us will desire that it's it's, it's just life so busy and what we have and what we do that how can we keep God's presence with us all the time I'll give that as a prayer request. I I need it more. If we're going to grow and become what God wants us to, we we need to have a desire for His presence in our lives all the time. So that's my challenge to me. And if it is to you, may God be praised. But may we all just continue to live the way He wants us to. Why don't we stand for prayer? Closing prayer.